We have been studying the Gospel of Luke all year, but we built the year and the plan around today so that we could focus on this story today. So now hear a reading from Luke chapter 2. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was named Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, as we consider this beloved story, would you speak to us about your word? Father, as we consider the story of the birth of Jesus. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's Christmas Eve, of course. We get to look at this story, and it's like a warm blanket. Guys, it's our own swaddling cloths that we get to wrap up in every 24th of December and feel that familiarity, that comfort of, uh, of this story, which has been retold and performed in many different ways, including 
by some of the older kids of our church, you know, were wrapped in cloths and displayed in our live nativity on Main Street years ago and all sorts of other ways we've told this story. It's lovely. This, uh, this story tells of an everyday occurrence, right? A, a baby is born. I mean, that's thousands of times a day all over the world, and that's what happened to Mary. A young mother gave birth in Israel. And yet, of course, this one is different. Uh, the parents aren't home. They're traveling. That's not entirely unique. Uh, that, that, of course, happens to people in all sorts of situations. Oh, and a whole army of angels shows up to announce and celebrate this birth. That is unique. I want to take a deeper look at this story. You know, let's, let's kind of peel back the surface. I want to look at it in three ways. The, the spotlight that's in this story, the legend that surrounds this story, and the message of the story. There is a literal spotlight in this story. But it's not on a manger. The literal spotlight in this story is out in the fields with some dirty shepherds. And they were. Shepherds were regarded as quite dirty. I don't know what you hold in your mind as sort of the least respectable job that's still a job. You know, the the job that would be featured in that old show about dirty work. I mean, whatever you have in mind, Shepherd was likely one of those types of jobs for the average uh, person in Israel. So whoever else they were, these are guys that uh, people kind of kept their distance from when they came into town for the smell alone, uh, much less uh, anything else about them. Who, who are they? You know, either they're common shepherds, common first century you know, Palestinian era, uh, area shepherds, uh, which, you know, even though, even though the scriptures of the Jewish people were full of actually celebration of shepherds, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23 says, they would still be generally disreputable. But there's also a theory that's really interesting that these guys might have been low-level priests in the tribe of Levi. Because there were some laws, some, some uh, cultural standards that the Jewish people had that uh, a typical flock couldn't be this close to town. It would have to be further out in the fields. These guys were too close to town. The only flocks that were allowed this close to town would be overseen by Levitical priests who were looking for something specific. They were evaluating each lamb as it was born to see if it was blemished or unblemished. They were identifying lambs for the sacrificial system in the temple, figuring out who was suitable. So whether they're common shepherds or priests who are also shepherds, they would know that something weird happened to them. You see, the glory of the Lord shone around them. That is... Uh, a biblical term, the Shekinah glory. That's the glory that glows in the temple. And especially priests would know that light isn't supposed to be anywhere else except the temple. It would be strange to them that it was outside moving out into 
the fields. And all of that is meant to highlight the message that the angels bring to the shepherd. In this night, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. That's three titles in one sentence. Savior, Christ, and Lord. It is a title stacking, if you will. Making sure that they realize, oh my gosh, this is this is not just the Messiah that we've been waiting for, but the one who will save us, they probably think, from the Romans. And, and he is also the Lord. He's the king. We're going to worship him. And it's good news. If you want to memorize the gospel, you could do worse than memorize what the angel says. This is good news for all people. Not just the Jews like they would expect, but all people, everyone including the guy who's writing this story, Luke, who's a Gentile, and the guy he's sending it to first, Theophilus, another Roman who's paying him to do it. It's a big deal. Man, the heart of this passage is out in the field. Don't miss it. In the words of a, of a Christmas hymn that was written in 1888 called Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent, he's, it, it says, Christ our God to earth descendeth our full homage to demand. And the shepherds, they got it. They got the message and went and paid homage. But to get the full sense of the story, we need to talk about something else. We need to talk about the legend. And I just want to prep you, everyone. For a moment, I'm going to kind of ruin Christmas, but hopefully I'm going to put it back together, okay? So just brace yourselves and you didn't bring any fruit or anything to throw at me. So, you know, let me just, all right, here's the legend. Here's the legend. Here's the story that we tell. Here's the thing that we act out. This is the legend. It's the story of this young couple. The, wo the woman is incredibly pregnant, probably already in labor, and they're going at nighttime from house to house, banging on doors. Please let us in. We need a place. And doors are being slammed in their face and you know they go to all the inns and all the you know the the vacancy signs are all turned off that's the legend right and so finally where do they end up in a barn surrounded by animals and they have to lay the baby in hay that's that's legend okay i'm played it up a bit for us <clears throat> it's much more likely based on what Luke says, that this couple and their new baby were honored guests who were well taken care of by family or close friends in Bethlehem. So I know that might trouble you a little bit based on the stories that you know and love, but I, let me give you five facts and then we'll just move, we'll move on, okay? This is from a, a Middle Eastern scholar named Kenneth Bailey. Number one, Joseph was of the he was of Davidic descent. He was of the house and family line of David. That means that when he goes to Bethlehem, everyone would be thrilled to have him stay in their house. Pick your favorite celebrity and think they're coming and knocking on your door and they want to stay with you. You're going, to make, you're going to make space. You know, this is an incredibly respect, respected family line. Of course, they're waiting for the Messiah in this line. And the people in the Middle East have a long memory. 
In March, Aaron and I went to Bethlehem, and we had dinner with a Palestinian Christian family, and this man could trace his, uh, his ancestors back on that land 17 generations. It just so happens that his ancestors that far back were shepherds, but you know, I'm not saying I met a descendant of the shepherds, but he said he was a descendant of the shepherds. So, okay. So they would know, as soon, even if they didn't know Joseph personally, if he said, my father's this, my grandfather's that, they would know. Oh, welcome. Come on in. That's fact number one. Fact number two, Mary had family nearby. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived two hills away. That's where their town was. And so if, if, uh, if Elizabeth and Zechariah had found out that their, their niece, who they had just hosted for weeks or months in their home, was get, you know, laboring in a barn, they would, that would be family scandal. They'd be so offended. How dare you? It'd be like, imagine a beloved family member, you know, coming to town. They can't find a hotel room, and you find out that they didn't call you, and so they slept under a bridge. You'd be like, what? Why didn't, why didn't you call? I would have come and gotten you. And, by the way, Mary was really pregnant. We have, this happens to be very personal for many of you in the room. Uh, when you're super pregnant, how do people treat you? With incredible deference, right? I mean, everyone wants to give you a seat, don't they? You walk around, people are like, oh, please take my seat. You know, like, it's, this is, this is worldwide, but in Middle Eastern culture especially, anyone would see this incredibly pregnant woman and say, please, take my bed, whatever, take whatever you need. Number four, the word in is a bad translation. Uh, we hear no room in the inn. We think it, it means a hotel room for rent. But, and, and ends existed, and, and there's a different Greek word for that. This is the word for guest room. A typical Jewish house would have a second little dwelling built off to the side of it, where if people came to visit, they could stay, just like a guest room in your home. And th so there's no room in that room. So where does that mean Joseph and Mary were? Well, the last clue is that Jesus was laid in the manger. Okay, you think one of the, it's hidden back here, but we have a, a stereotypical, you know, Christmas nativity scene manger back here. There's no hay in it, but that's okay. Uh, in a first century uh, Jewish home, it's a studio apartment. It's one room. Uh, the people would, they would kind of dig out the entryway, but the, the, where the people would eat and sleep and, and live would be sort of a raised platform. And everyone does their whole life inside of that room. And at night, every, any normal Jewish family would bring in any livestock they have into that dugout lower area. And the animals would have their food placed on the edge of the raised platform. It would be sort of dug out like a bowl. And that's called a manger. That's where, and guess what? In any normal Jewish home, when a baby's born, you've got a built-in crib right there. That's where, you, that's where a normal Jewish family would place their baby. So here's what all these facts lead to. It was so important to these hosts 
to have Joseph and Mary stay with them, that they chose to be displaced in order to make room for Mary and Joseph and their baby. In other words, they effectively slept on the couch so that Mary could have the bed. What's the message of all this? Why does it matter? Can't we just, can't we just enjoy the stories as we love to tell them? Uh, okay, first, um, the Christmas story isn't a legend. It's a historical event that gives meaning to all the rest of history. So the facts do matter. All right, they mattered to Luke. Luke bothered to tell us that this all happened when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. You know, so it mattered to him when and where and how this happened. You know, because otherwise, who cares whether or not Quirinius was the governor at the time of this happening? But second, um, the beauty of the legend, it, it's not lost. It's just, it's just placed in a different location. Look, th- this is a really important message that that people celebrate with Mary and Joseph wandering and banging on doors. Just a couple weeks ago, my family went to a posada. And if you don't know what a posada is, it's a, it's a, a Mexican tradition of celebrating Christmas. And it tells the story of Mary wandering, looking for a place to stay. And, and we celebrated it with a whole bunch of people who are immigrants. And think about what an important message that is, as they go and look for a place to stay. They can relate to Jesus and his family in a time of great um, uh, transition and trial. You know, of course, that's so important. And, and is the message lost for them? Well, don't forget the rest of the story and all the rest of the details. Joseph and Mary are second-class citizens. They're not Roman citizens. They'd have no choice but to travel because the, the emperor said they had to. They're under the thumb of the government. They're, you know, they don't want to travel when Mary's this pregnant, but they have to anyway. When Rome commands, they obey. Later, they're forced to flee for their lives to Egypt. They become refugees. And in his adulthood, Jesus will be an unhoused person with no place to lay his head. And of course, he will be executed by Rome in a crass political stunt his life treated as expendable by the global power. So, if the legends are wrong about the birth, Jesus is still a man of sorrows, the one who became poor so that we might share in the riches of heaven. Christianity doesn't have a neat and tidy answer to the problem of suffering. I'm not sure there is one. But we worship a king who shared the worst of suffering with humanity. Perhaps the the fourth century bishop, Ambrose, said it best. Here's what he said. He was a baby, a child, so that you may become a complete, mature person. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes so that you might be freed from the bonds of death. He was in a manger so that you may be on the altar. He came to earth so that you may be in the stars. He had no place in the inn so that you may have in heaven many mansions. He, being rich, became poor for your sakes, that through his poverty you might become rich. Friends, why does it matter to kind of get the facts straight here? Because the story, rather than being tarnished by the facts, actually gets another layer. It gets another layer. This becomes a celebration of hospitality. Let's go back to where we started in the fields 
Whether those shepherds were low-level Levitical priests or common, dirty shepherds, they're field workers, they're soiled, they're probably at the, the reason they're out at night is they're assisting in the births of new lambs. They are dirty, they're, they're ceremonially unclean, they're stinky and dirty and covered in all of the stuff that happens when sheep give birth. And there's subtle good news to them in the angel's message. The angel says, this will be the sign for you. You will find the baby, not in a palace, not in the temple, but wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. These guys know that the manger is a common household. That's where you put a baby in a manger. Oh, a place that might let us in to see the baby. He comes and becomes accessible to them. If he were born in a palace, they could have never said, Let's go see this thing that has happened. This king is unlike any king before or since. Born as a lowly common person among us. He knows us and can be known by us. He calls upon us, therefore, to share this hospitality with others. Jesus himself would go on to make much of hospitality. It's a big deal. At one point, he tells a crowd that if they give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of his followers, they would share in the treasures of heaven. At another point, he tells a famous parable. It's kind of a scary parable about sheep and goats separating out humanity into those who would taste the joys of heaven and those who wouldn't. And what's the difference between them? The one has been generous and hospitable to people in dire circumstances. And the other wasn't. You couldn't find a better word for it than hospitality. Whatever you did, he says, for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Remember the line of that hymn that I shared with you a minute ago. Christ our God to earth descendeth, our full homage to demand. But he does not come with a sword and an army to intimidate you into following him. Rather, he comes as a vulnerable house guest, a young family traveling, and gives you the opportunity to be displaced, to welcome him in. In so doing, you get to open your home and your heart to the least of these, his brothers. Friends, in this season, perhaps there's a family in need. There's there's whatever your version of stinky shepherds is, a low-level priests caught up in potentially corrupt religious scandal. I didn't even get into that, but that's okay. And suddenly, the stories of Scripture come alive. Friends, one of Jesus' followers, maybe his brother, James, wrote a letter to the early Christians, and, and he tells them to emulate the, the people of the old stories, Abraham and Rahab. And Abraham and Rahab have nothing to do with each other. Abraham's the father of the Jews. Rahab was, you know, she ran a brothel in Jericho. The one thing they have in common is that they were hospitable to strangers. They opened their doors to them. This is the call to all followers of Jesus. So perhaps... After, you know, ruining a beloved story a little bit, we can bring it back to a wonderful and comfortable Christian cliche. Invite Jesus into your home in this season. Spiritually, submit to him.
physically welcome others in your neighborhood, in your family, and beyond. And in so doing, according to the book of Hebrews, you may be entertaining angels unawares. You will learn what it means to truly surrender your life to the humble king whose glory has broken free from the temple and is now out in the fields among us. Friends, we can be hospitable because our king was hospitable to us. In fact, as the host of the Last Supper, he gathered his friends around him and he told them that this story, which always represented their rescue from Egypt, now represents their rescue from the bonds of sin and death. And how would he make a way for that to happen? On the very night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had broken it and given thanks for it, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take this and eat, all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember that first he makes us guests in his home so that we can make others guests in ours. And so, brothers and sisters, I would invite you to come and be a guest at his table. Let's pray. Father, Tonight, or today, we remember an unnamed family in Bethlehem, some relative or friend of Joseph's who opened their doors and was thrilled to see them and made space for them. And we ask, Lord, that we also would, dis- would displace our own comforts for the sake of others in this season in worship to you. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.